0: You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Good Evening, and you're very welcome to this week's Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM with my good self Sharon Noonan. Tonight, I have a lovely lineup of guests from all corners of Ireland, from Kerry to Waterford to Carlow in Dublin, before finishing up in my home county of Antrim. First up, I'm going to be talking to Ken Mayor Footy, Karen Coakley, about what news she has from the kingdom, what she's been up to. Chef Paul Flynn from the Tannery in Dungarvan, County Waterford, will be telling us what to expect in this. month's issue of Easy Food magazine. He's the guest editor for this month. I'll be reporting from Bloom in Phoenix Park and sharing my chats with Fiona Dillon and Joan Mallon on their award-winning gardens. And finally, wine expert and long-time family friend, Frank McGreevy from Ballymena in County Antrim will join me on the phone to tell me about his recent wine tasting on board the Oscar Wilde. To get in touch with me here on the show, feel free to drop me an email, s.nunan at live.ie or you can tweet me at Queen of Org as in Queen of Organisation. So, let's welcome Chem Mayor Karen Coakley to the studio to find out what she's been up to. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Karen, great to see you in studio this evening. Hi Sharon, thank you for having me. And we're going to talk about your visit in May to Firehouse Bakery. Tell me about that.
1: Yes, I don't know if the listeners listeners are familiar with Firehouse Bakery, but basically Firehouse Bakery is a bread school and it's on Hare Island in West Cork. Now they also have... A bakery and a cafe in Delgany in County Wicklow and that's run by Patrick and Laura and then at weekends what they do throughout the year I don't think they do it in the winter because the weather is too bad ferries and things like that they um come down to Hare Island and they have a wood burning oven down there and they basically do full day courses down there over weekends. Now they sell out there's I mean I think this year's one is sold out already since the start of the year because I was talking to uh, Laura's parents a few weeks ago down on Hare Island when I was down there for another thing and um, basically how it started off was her mom and dad they're living on Hare Island and they built a clay oven, now you're familiar with Sharon we have a clay oven in our back garden so it's th- the exact same as our one, the same guy built it and they have a sailing school it's such a, it sounds like such a charmed life but they have a sailing school on beautiful Hare Island in West Cork and uh, Patrick and Laura, what they do is they, they use that then as their their firehouse bakery bread school so I went down and um, got the 10 o'clock ferry across there was 7 of us because they only take 7 at a time it's hands on so you literally you you know meet everybody you have a welcoming coffee when you arrive and then by half 10 we were all standing around a table Patrick was at the top of the table giving us his talk on bread and there is a movement there now very much away from you know sliced processed bread because as he said it's the work of the devil that seems to be the thinking there and you know there's a lot of talk about celiacs and gluten are people who are allergic to gluten and as patrick said i think it's 9% of the population are confirmed celiacs they're you know they really are celiacs and i think he said a lot of the problem is that It's because the way bread is made now, it's made so quickly inside in factories. You know, if you think of at home, if you make your bread and you leave it to prove, you know, for hours, the longer you leave it to prove, the more Mother Nature can work and the more, you know, Mother Nature can actually break down all of the things that are in the flour. So it makes it easier for your body to digest it. So then if you take that to that, you get a shop bought loaf of bread and it's all done like in a matter of 45 minutes you know start to finish the whole thing is done so your body can't then actually digest and cope with all of that so this was to take it all back to the beginning and back to baking bread Um, we learned how to make sourdough starters and another amazing thing you know you have your sourdough starter but your sourdough starter is life you know you use flour and water and yogurt and you can keep that going for years and years and years I know there's Declan Ryan with the Arbutus Bread Company in Cork I think at Litfest, he had a sourdough starter that was 20 years old. I think he'd started it 20 years ago, which is amazing. And once you use it every week, it won't go off. You just, you know, take off what you need and then you add, you feed it, add more flour and more water and it stays alive. You can store it in the fridge. It's just the most amazing thing. So Patrick's um, sourdough starter that we made bread with was six years old. And, you know, it's just a simple thing of you take your you take your flour, you take your starter or your dried yeast which is actually okay as well you take your salt and you add your liquid you know you mix it all up in your bowl and you knead it for 10 minutes you know we learned how to knead properly because I think kneading can be terrifying for some people and it's just the idea of like you know you have to knead it and knead it with the heel of your hand because the harder you push it down the more you're actually breaking down the the gluten and the molecules in the flour so you know that all helps it to work and makes it to be better at the end of the day And then let it prove for your hour or two hours and as patrick said the proving you know it will say proof for an hour and then we tend to prove for an hour or you know it'll say need for 10 minutes and we tend to look at the clock and we go okay 10 minutes but it could be nine minutes it could be 11 minutes you have to judge yourself with your bread and one way to actually see if your dough is ready it's called the windowpane effect have you heard of that? No. So basically what it is, is when you have it kneaded for, you know, 9, 10, 11 minutes, you feel it to start to kind of like come together. You know, you feel it changing. So then what you do is if you imagine you've got a round of dough, like a big round of dough in your, in your hands, cut off maybe a third of it and then make it into a smaller little dough ball. And then hold it up to the light and kind of pinch the outside of it out with your fingers to, like, make a circular form. And if you look through the light, look, look at the light through that, what you'll see is, you know, the dough will go very, very thin. And it'll be almost like a spiderweb effect, and you should be able to see a light through it. And it should be holding, like, strong enough to actually hold its own weight without you pulling it and breaking it. So basically, if it can hold its own weight, it's okay. And then, you know, you don't want to put your fingers through it and break it. That's a totally different thing. So we learned all those kinds of things. But over the course of the day, there were seven of us there. We all made four different things. Like we all made a sourdough bread. Um, I made a beautiful, it was a, a pinwheel, basically using the same sort of a recipe, the same recipe as my sourdough. But what you do is you roll it out flat and then put spinach on top of it, some chopped gubine chorizo, some um, cheddar cheese, and some roasted red peppers. And then you roll that up like you do with Swiss roll, and you slice it into little pieces, lay it down, let it prove again before you put it into the oven for about an hour. So you put everything snugly so they hold each other together into your oven. And it's, that was just ideal for kids, for lunch boxes, for schools. And it's so simple. My guys took it off to school and they were delighted with themselves. And then he taught us the difference between, let's say, yeast breads and then soda breads. So we made soda breads. Now, everybody, again, had to, you know, pick, you pick a recipe, blindfold pick a recipe, more or less. So I got, they were muffins, they were soda muffins, and they had beetroot, mozzarella, and roast red pepper in them. And again, you see the difference with the soda bread. The soda bread is quick, there's no need, and You just literally throw it all into the bowl, mix it up, and off you go. So mine was, you make it, add it in your beetroot and your red pepper and your mozzarella into muffin tins and into the oven for maybe 15 minutes. And again, that went off the lunchbox. For my, with my lads and they loved it and it's you know you're always looking for something different for kids and I just you know for me it was if you can make your own bread at home or start making your own bread at home there's a world of different things you can do with it and the table then at the end of the day when everybody was finished baking it was like walking into like the nicest bakery ever because we did flowerpot pot bread with uh, potato and rosemary most amazing you know the small terracotta flower pots so one of the girls that was the recipe that she picked now you're so busy working on your own recipe that you know Patrick gives you a run through first of all on how to do everything so you're around the table and when you have your recipe he'll, he'll kind of talk you through and he'll guide you through what you're doing but you know you can't really focus on exactly what everybody else is doing all of the time but you all get an idea of what's done or how it's done and then you all get to sit down together at the end of the day around this lovely kitchen table that you've been working on. And Patrick and Laura, they put out beautiful salads and charcuterie. And then you just go and you help yourself and you taste all the bread. And then you bring home whatever is left over, which was a lot of
0: bread. It all sounds lovely. It was amazing. Delicious. It really all was. all those com- different
1: combinations of flavours and everything. Well, the thing was, it's, I think that the biggest thing for me was that it showed me that, number one, it's easy it's so much easier than I ever thought it would be. I mean, I've had a few bread disasters. It's given me the confidence to take the step to say, okay, I am going to make my own sourdough starter, and I am going to hopefully start making bread once a week, twice a week. You can freeze it perfectly. So if you have your oven on, you know, make two, two no, double the recipe, make two sourdough loaves. Um, and even for the kids, for the lunch boxes, I mean, what could be simpler than making basically like a pizza dough, only you don't have to try to make pizzas. You just roll it out you can put any fillings you want, put ham and cheese and roll it up and they've got pinwheels for school. You know, if they're, I know mine will eat anything. Mine would have olives. They'd have the whole lot in there. But for a kid who isn't as, you know, experiment, you know, what's the word? Adventurous. Ah, adventurous. Adventurous you know ham and cheese roll it up and off you go into the lunchbox it's just fantastic sounds
0: great so that's firehouse bakery in Hare island if people want to to google it to get the website address to find out about their courses yeah and,
1: and they're on twitter and they're on facebook as well um it's definitely it's it's one that's worth doing because i just think it's one that will stand to you for life and Dine in the Dark in Kelorglan tell me about this event you were at Dine in the Dark this was one that I was invited to recently by Finlatter and Torres Wines they hold um, it's a fundraiser for Sightsavers and they hold a few of them in a year so the one that they were having in Kerry was in Solly Sombra in Kelorglan so I jumped the chance because I'm a big fan of Solly Sombra and it was a few years since I'd been there Um, had been there previously with my husband and with friends for a birthday party and were just blown away by the food down there and just everything the atmosphere the whole lot so Solly Sombra first of all it's an old church it's an old church of Ireland church on the steep hill in Kilorglan on the left hand side there so it dates back to 1816 and then in 1998 the church was sold and bought by the Foley family who have Nick's next door now that's a well known restaurant Nick's of A years ago I travelled down from Khmer to that beautiful seafood and fresh food and they used to have a piano man at the time playing piano in the bar I don't know if he's still there but the whole thing was just super so anyway they bought the church back in uh, was it 1998 and they, you know, spent a while kind of traveling around and they went to Spain and discovered that they loved the diversity of tapas and I suppose that was at a time when Irish people were only starting to get into tapas, so they think they would have been ahead of the curve with that Um, so then they decided that they were going to open a tapas restaurant in the old church, so in 2004 the transformation started and they transformed it from a church into a modern building, It's, it's beautiful inside there and it's the place that lends itself to, it's a restaurant but I mean, you could have a concert, you could have anything there. And as far as I know, they do have bands and they do have music there. Um, and then in recent years the cleaner the owner would say the food has made the move towards tapas fusion and I know they're very passionate now as well about Irish produce because that tasting night that we were at it was all Irish produce that we were tasting on our plates even though they were served up as tapas we had veal there's a local veal from I think it's Cremon it's a new guy in Kerry he's doing veal that was one of the things we tasted but um in 2014, they started the Kerry Wine Club and that's attracted a lot of interest and they run monthly tastings in the mezzanine where Kleena, her name is Kleena Foley, gives a tasting of six to eight wines from a given region that evening. And they're on Twitter and they're on Facebook if anybody wants to get more information on those. But the evening that we were down there for the Dine in the Dark, I mean, that was amazing because we were with around the table with a load of strangers. My husband was across from me. So you're literally thrown in the deep end and you've got to put the blindfolds on. So you're relying on your... your I suppose, your finger to the first thing because you've got to find your way from, you know, to the food, to the glass of wine. Um, and you're relying on all of your senses because you have to talk to the people beside you. You've got to taste your food. And it's just to give you an idea of what it's like when you're blind, you know, of how everything else kicks into place. So it was amazing from that point of view. And then what it was, was we had four plates and there was they were each matched with a wine so we started off there was asparagus wrapped with, in sea bass which was beautiful but it's very funny then to hear what people think it is before they can actually see it you know this big discussion around the table of what you think it is and you know People then, you know, everybody knew it was fish, but people trying to actually identify which fish it was, you know, which is a very hard thing to do. So I suppose the first thing you do would probably lift the plate to smell it,
0: and then you would touch it. You know what, I I I never... maybe you'd lift it up and smell it. Never thought of
1: that. To your mouth. No, you just kind of very carefully take your fingers across the table mm-hmm. to find the plate really in the first place is the thing to do because you've no idea where the plate is you've no idea where your wine glass is so you don't want to go knocking stuff all over the table so the fr- yeah, it's kind of daunting at the beginning but you do get into it it's a great idea for a fantastic idea charity, and i do think it's a fantastic way for a group of friends to go and have fun together you know because you it really starts conversation you know it's like we were talking to every table you know which just talking about what do you think and what do you think and even asking other tables what they thought and they then the people who are running it they go around and they're listening to what you're saying all the time but of course you can't see them, you don't know they're there. So then they kind of come back afterwards with the, the comments on what people thought they were eating, which is very funny. So it was a great night. There was a talk on wine, because obviously it was a Torres uh, Finland or wine run event, and um, a fabulous talk on wine, some beautiful wines there that night. The gorgeous Spanish Tempranillos, beautiful dessert wine served at the end of the night. And I'm not a dessert wine, well I wasn't until that, but it was just amazing how, you know, you can say, well I don't like sherry or I don't like port, I don't like dessert wines, but myself and my husband both drank that wine and we kind of went yeah we like this one a great um, way to expand great way to expand, expand absolutely
0: horizons thanks so much for sharing that all with us we shall say goodbye and uh, we'll talk to you again next month thank you Sharon cheers chin chin
1: salut Schleiter.
0: Thanks to Karen and if you've some news in the kingdom for Karen you can send it to me here s.noonan at live.ie and I'll be sure to pass it on to her. So my next guest needs very little introduction and he has appeared on various TV shows such as Taste of Success and with his pal Martin Shanahan on Surf and Turf. He's the guest editor for the June issue of Easy Food magazine so let's find out what we can expect from this latest issue from chef Paul Flynn of The Tannery in bon appetit yummy grubs up delicious Mm. Paul you're very welcome to the show this evening
2: thank you Sharon thank you for having me
0: guest editor of easy food magazine the June issue how did that all come about
2: um I suppose it, it came about I did a I judged a competition in Dublin last year for easy food magazine and we had a great day I mean a great night you know there was prizes given later on and uh you know, you get to know people and the old, through the old chit-chat, I got a phone call a few months later just asking me to be a uh, guest editor, which I'm thrilled to be.
0: And what can we expect in the issue? I thought
2: the whole... It's my first time doing this uh, for a start, so I really had to be guided through the whole thing myself. I sort to of give a feel of of my own personality through the issue. and uh, you know some an introduction, of course, and just why I wanted to do this and the type of food that I love. And because it's summertime, you know normally, I suppose I'm associated with sort of big butch uh, Irish food, and you know, deep flavors and slow cooking and lots of pork. and but the summertime is when my food, absolutely changes, Um you know i embrace olive oil and start cooking with tomatoes and peppers and garlic and rosemary and all these things that uh, that really is supposed to make the season come alive and that's why i, I am still a cook and that's why i love cooking and i, I totally uh, uh, abide by the seasons
0: you're a great family man yourself and you have a lovely book there cookbook it is with family favorites in it so i presume you've included some family favorite type recipes in this month's magazine
2: uh, absolutely anytime i'm cooking whether it be in the cookery school my own cookery school or uh, I, I suppose trying to encourage people to cook I, I feel very committed and passionate about that because if you give people complicated recipes it's it's kind of something that they might just glance over and say look maybe i'll do it another time but if you make cooking simple for people make the process easy make the ingredients affordable and accessible and also uh make it something that they feel they can do they will cook more often and they would get confidence in cooking. And I really believe that good cooking and uh, begins at home and with your family, with what they eat uh, from a very early age. Although I sort of live with, uh, you know, sometimes I think it was like two uh, professional food critics, well, three professional food critics if you count my wife. You know, I'm always trying to foist things that I like on my children, but they said very excitedly last night they had the best dinner ever last night. And it was fish fingers in, bete- in between two waffles with ketchup, so after all my efforts, um, you know it is still a festival of brown food that that they really love more than anything else. Maybe they're just uh, spoiled for choice.
0: It sounds like something that would go down a treat in the Noonan household, also with the young and old alike. I have to say,
2: I know I, I wouldn't mind it at all. I just pretended to be disapproving.
0: <laughs> of course, yeah. Tell me, what is your favourite recipe in the magazine this
3: month?
2: Well, I suppose that any that we have um, a barbecue recipe in the in the magazine, and um, anything got to do with the summer, I'm actually preparing a barbecue right now. I managed to wrangle the night off, and it's a beautiful evening, and I'm I'm doing a series of small, tiny, simple dishes, but I'm going to barbecue some monkfish on the uh, on the on the old grill tonight. Don't often do it, but uh, anything with the barbecue is my favourite, especially in summertime, because you get outside messes outside, it's actually really good for you in terms of low fat um, you know, minimal washing up which is a very important thing as well and it's just, at least it's just a very sort of different casual eating experience
0: It's great to hear that you're doing monkfish on it because I think most people automatically associate barbecue with meat
2: oh, I, You know, I, I totally associate barbecue with meat but equally I'm an advocate of the barbecue, the best thing I ever did years ago I was I kind of one-day weber course over to the UK, and the first thing greeting me was was an upside-down duck. You know, you, you've heard you you'll have heard of beer-can chicken, but this was duck done the barbecue. And now you know, it just opened my, up my eyes. Now I slow roast pork and lamb, and anything can be done. That, and fish is is absolutely beautiful in it.
0: You mentioned the cookery school there at the tannery in Dungarvan and County Waterford. I presume barbecue courses are one of the ones that appear on the schedule every now and again.
2: Uh, they used to but we had this beautiful garden and it's, it is no more so uh, we don't have any barbecue courses I'm afraid um, but we have lots of other uh, wonderful courses I suppose the thing is I try to inject my own personality into things and, and, keep, it, uh, and keep it really really simple and uh, I enjoy teaching I enjoy cooking I enjoy the interaction with people because I suppose the nature of of cooking in, in uh, a restaurant kitchen is that know you don't really get to meet people so that's why i love cooking in the uh, uh, teaching people to cook in the cookery school it's a lovely relaxed day more for the i suppose uh, it's a social day out rather than somebody who wants to become a chef Um, and it's not that kind of thing it's a very relaxed easygoing fun day
0: it must be very challenging though whenever you have the restaurant there you have a family you have the cookery school and you have lots of other work commitments how do you juggle that all
2: the big work commitment now i want to do I have a little dog that's starting to bark and i'm hoping she won't bark um uh, you know it's about i suppose having you know being okay with having a busy life and i'm i'm sort of funny when i've gotten invited out to loads of things over the years and done grabbing you will you come fishing will you come boating will you come all sorts of things and i always kind of go "No, i gotta be back in the kitchen i know it sounds a bit a bit it's sad but I do love food, and I love—I never stop thinking about food. And I suppose as the years go by, it's the simplicity of food that I that I totally love. When you're a young chef, what you want to do—I think it's a man thing—you kind of want to prove yourself to people. And yes, I want to be this, and I want to be that. But now I'm utterly committed. Number one to giving people really good food in in, in the tannery, but also, um, you know, giving people, showing people that cooking at home is a very important thing, and it doesn't have to be complicated.
0: I was talking there about other work commitments, and one of those would be the RTE show Taste of Success, which was actually one, the past one, was won by Limerick's Podrick McCarthy, and they have, I suppose, people in the pipeline for the next series.
2: They have. It was a really interesting show. It was my first job uh, as a presenter, in a way, and a bit daunting. You know, the, the thing about telly is I'm not doing it all that long. I'm doing it, I don't know, maybe six, seven years, and... The more you, you do it, the more you relax into it. But yes, I, I had to absolutely do be committed to public speaking and speaking in front of a large crowd and making sure you didn't fluff your lines. And it is a great show. And the prize is €100,000, which is are the equivalent of, but it, it's it's massive. And it's a
0: serious prize, so it it's is. It's a
2: serious prize. It's yeah. a life-changing thing. Absolutely, you know, yeah. for pe- and, and the lovely thing about that, Sharon, is that it's not about chefs. They can be chefs. But equally, they can be somebody at home because you're not expected to, um, you know, if the idea wins, you're not expected to make it. You're expected to provide the idea, and just it needs to be something that's really strong commercially. This is a whole. This is a big thing about this the, about the success of that. It's it's about can it be produced um, in in larger quantities? Is it something that has mass appeal? You know, the, we come across really niche products. that are utterly fantastic, but yet they mightn't all the boxes so that's why they might not get through and this is the I suppose the, the difficult thing you know with people they're very committed and passionate about what they create but it needs to I suppose it needs to have a you know instead of a cult hit we need a popular hit we need a number one and that's the whole thing about this is that you need to transfer the success is is all about sales as well
0: and even if they don't get through to that final stage it's great exposure for them on national television
2: it absolutely is. I mean, we came across some absolutely amazing products, but for some reason or other, you know, they mightn't get through. Like, you know, a soup might be too thin, so therefore the machines mightn't be able to distribute uh, uh, the, the the soup in equal quantities. I mean, it, it might not be simply down to the recipe. And hopefully it would be a platform, platform for people to show off their absolutely amazing uh, um, products.
0: Well, we've digressed a bit now, Paul, from Easy Food, which is all grand because it's always great to talk to you about lots of different things. So just to come back to it quickly before I let you go, Paul Flynn's family for favourites I see here in the contents list, Barbecue Basics, we've talked about both of those. And then there's the Kids Kitchen there. Easy Food's always great for featuring children in the magazine.
2: Yeah, it's It's a really important thing. I mean, I, I did mention to you earlier on, Sharon, about you know, my excited a little girl yesterday, uh, talking about this fish finger and waffle sandwich, and I, I would totally love that. There's no question. But I just think that once food becomes part of a regular part of your house, and you know, you sit down at the table or, uh, together with the family, that it becomes just this important part of your day. And I think everybody's so busy. There's always, you know, between both parents working, pickups from, you know, the crash or delivering them to tennis or swimming. You know, the time that you get to actually sit down by yourself, uh, about with your family, is uh, is at, uh, at mealtimes. And it's really important to kind of, I suppose persistence is the thing, and get them to eat it. Because I think a food education is something that will stay with you for life. Food isn't fuel. Food is fuel, but it's also pleasure. It's also it's also uh, socializing, and it'll give you so much pleasure throughout your life. And it doesn't have to be fancy. It could be bowl of soup or a sandwich. Good food isn't about fancy food.
0: That's great words of advice to finish off there, Paul. That's um, us just talking there about Easy Food magazine. It's on the shelves from the 12th of June at 3 a great price, I think. And give us the, the web address there for the tannery so that listeners can go on and see the full list of great courses that you do.
2: Thank you, Sharon. It's www.tannery.ie. Or you could just ring the restaurant and we will happily talk you through everything. And there's, there's lots going on.
0: Fantastic, Paul. Thanks so much for talking to me this evening and I look forward now to the the next series of Taste of Success.
2: Thank you very much, Sharon. Great talking to you.
0: You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102FM. Welcome back to tonight's programme. If you've just joined us before the break, Chef Paul Flynn from the Tannery in Dungarvan was chatting to me about a few things, including the June issue of Easy Food magazine, of which he's guest editor, and that is out on the shelves now. And just before that, at the start of the show, Ken Foodie, Karen Coakley, had some news about what she was up to enjoying a lovely bread-making course there on Hare Island. Never fear if you've missed some of the show, as it will be up on the Best Possible Taste podcast later in the week, along with all the previous shows. And you'll find the podcast on soundcloud.com forward slash food hyphen and hyphen drink hyphen show. Now, my next interviews were recorded a few weeks ago at Bloom in the Park. I had planned to interview author Fiona Dillon by phone a few weeks ago, but when I heard that the protagonist in her latest series of books had his very own garden at Bloom, I thought, sure, wouldn't that just be the perfect venue to find out more? Cheers. Chin-chin.
2: Salut.
1: Schleiter.
0: Fiona we're here on the Freddie Buttons garden at Bloom who is Freddie Buttons Freddie Buttons is
4: an eight-year-old boy who lives at Tumbledown Cottage his best friend in the world is Juno his dog and Freddie and Juno have lots of adventures in their garden all based around food and the Freddie Buttons books all have a different food theme within them
0: how did these books come about
4: Good question. Um, After Food from an Irish Garden was published and it did so well um, it was time to think about the next book which probably should have been gifts from an Irish garden but I had this thing I have four children and because the first book and growing my own garden had been such a learning curve I wanted to take that uh, and share it with children. I felt that if we could just introduce them to real food really early in their lives that it's something that will never leave them. So I wanted to move away from the idea that, that milk is manufactured in supermarkets and apples are grown and packaged in a factory um, and get children down and dirty with the slugs and the butterflies uh, and growing their own food. So each book deals with different themes? Mm, yeah. So we start off, we've got hens. So. I didn't want to do a series of books that was telling children eat your vegetables, they're good for you, they're sick of the adults, the, the, the big guys telling them that, but what I wanted to do was very subtly introduce the idea of food and where it comes from. So what I did was um, I created an adventure, a little mystery and an adventure in each book. So. In the first one uh, one of the chickens goes missing so so what Freddie has to do is he has to call in the FBI which are the Freddie Buttons investigators and it's all the animals and they all get to work together and figure out what has happened in the garden and, how, and of course then there's a resolution at the end. With each book having a did you know at the end just for those extra little things uh, that... that um, might stay in their heads, those little nuggets of information and of course there's a recipe to finish the book then based on the, on the food theme.
0: The way you're talking about it, it sounds like you were very passionate about it whenever you were writing about it. Did you call on your inner child to help you often?
4: Let me tell you, listeners, if you want to do something like this, it's just so brilliant because you get to be a child again. Um, I don't have to use all the big fancy words. I can just be, just relax, chillax and do as the kids do and just say it like it is. Um, And it's just so, um, it's almost therapeutic writing books like this. And it's brilliant, brilliant fun.
0: As you said there, it's not your first book, so did that make it easier to find a publisher that was going to run with it for you?
4: Yes, because I think when it's your first time out, and I was very lucky, I was one of these ones that got a phone call saying, would you like to write a book, Um, which was very flattering, and it was a huge learning experience, and I've taken everything that I've learned, and the result has been that, that I've managed to have a garden here at Bloom, which is something unheard of. I, I would never have thought of doing this. But, you know, writers are called poor writers for a very good reason and I couldn't have done it without a company, an Irish company like Glenisk that are win- willing to fund all of this because um, it's one thing writing the books but to, to share it with the children um, and there's over 120,000 people come to Bloom and, and to be able to share that w- with them is it's it's almost an honour.
0: How did the collaboration with Glenisk come about?
4: Well, it was just I had this little mad idea and there are people out there that like <laughs> like my little ideas and uh, Glen I I, talked, I emailed them initially and said look I'm thinking of doing this and straight away they said come on let's meet and they had known me through food blogging and through food from an Irish garden and all of that and then it was to be a much smaller project but the way I work is look let's have the dream and, and why not say what the dream is and the dream for me was to end up in bloom with the books. Um, the The worst that could have happened was, it didn't happen. Um, The books would still have been written, but we've managed to work really hard and get here today, but you do need a brand like Glenisk that's Irish, that's into real food as well. Um, It's perfect, it's a perfect collaboration uh, when it comes to somebody like Freddie Buttons.
0: The garden here reflects the storylines in the six different books. Mm, mm. So we have the Bug Hotel, which I'm sure the kids love. Mm. We have different vegetables growing. What has the response been from the children?
4: Okay, the children are absolutely loving it. Now, I have to say, children being children, they're also loving the stickers that they're getting and the bookmarks and all the things that the children love. We've got little boxes, and inside the boxes we've got um, things like uh, fox prints and uh, different hedgehog footprints, um, a, a real nest with eggs in it, and we have uh, magnifying glasses for the children to go investigate and see what's in the boxes. The children are absolutely loving that. but I. Th- For me, the biggest surprise has been the adults. The adults are blown away by the garden. Now, it was never my intention to appeal to adults. I wanted everything at a level that kids loved it. But for some reason, with adults, they either have their own children and they're thinking, gosh, I'd really like to have something like that and I'm going to do that with my own children. And then the older generation are thinking, we used to have that. That's how we grew grew up with all of these things. So it's, it's hitting home with lots of people, which I never expected.
0: I think for parents too, that whenever we're reading books to our children, we want books that we enjoy ourselves Mm. as well. Mm. What age group are the the books aimed at? Um, The first three are
4: five to seven, the second three, six to eight. They're really not to eight, I would say, because um, they're certainly books that you could be reading to much younger children that they get a sense of where their food comes from. And then as they get a little bit older that they can read them themselves. Um, I did, the worst thing I had to do was send out my books to children because children will be very honest um... Right. And that was worse than meeting any publisher or going to any meeting was what the the five and six and seven year olds were going to say about the books. Thankfully, I got a thumbs up and I'm here today. (laughs) But that that was a little bit nerve wracking, I have to say.
0: (laughs) And if listeners want to find out more about the books or they want to buy them, where's the best place for them to go?
4: I've lots of options there. First port of call is freddiebuttons.com because I'm making that very interactive for small children as well, that they can talk about their, their food experiences and what they're growing. Um, and the books will be on sale through that. In the next couple of weeks, you'll find them in Easons and all, all bookstores. But again, if people um, would like to do it a different way and maybe not spend uh, the money, what they could do would be collect yogurt, Klenisky yogurt uh, packs. Um, they'll see Freddie Buttons on the packs and then they can collect the the, um, the tokens and get the books that way. So there's I have options for everybody.
0: And to find out more about you Fiona, your website is fionadillon.com. i fionadillon.com I am indeed. Lovely to talk to you today in the glorious sunshine and all the very best of luck with it. Thanks so much Sharon. So that was Fiona Dillon on her Freddie Buttons garden, which won a silver medal at Bloom. And another medal winner was the Gold Garden, which won gold. And I was thrilled to meet its designer, Joan Mallon. Joan, it's lovely to meet you here on a very special garden. It's called... What do you call a slum, I call
5: home. Or the Gold Garden as it's more commonly known as.
0: And it's a very interesting garden because
5: it is what I'd say a lot of people imagine a slum to be like out in Africa. It is. It, it's uh, not your typical show garden by any means, but it's also not your typical slum. So it was find, the biggest challenge about creating this garden was finding the meeting point of the two. A show garden versus what slums are really like. It's quite a pretty slum, really, uh, in in reality. But the elements are very similar. The, the, the shacks, the... Chicken coop, the toilet structure, the shop, the micro trading, but above all, what the main purpose of this garden was to show how growing and micro growing and sack growing can improve people's lives immeasurably. The difference a couple of sacks makes to a family, and it's not just in Africa, but it's in India and in Central America, and in Haiti. You know, it's representative of um, micro urban urban gardening globally, and even even here at home, how you can bring these elements to your own back doorstep. Now, in order to get all these elements, you actually spent some time in Nairobi, I believe. I did. I mean, internet research will only take you so far, and, and lots of people have been there and could tell me lots of things about it, but nobody could tell me what grew on the side of the road or... What exact plants they used, or so I needed to go and see it for myself and experience it and feel it and smell it and hear it. Um, but also, with, from a plant's point of view, from a, from a gardener's point of view, I, ne- I needed to go. It was the only way I would have been able to stand over this garden and authenticate it. And while the structure of the garden didn't change, the design layout didn't change um, after the trip, all the details and the detailing came from the trip. Well, tell me a little bit about what is
0: growing here. You have these grow bags, or are sacks, you have a micro garden and trays, and you
5: also have a wall garden, which is absolutely stunning. Yeah, well, the, the growing wall is our wow factor because there are no trees in the slums. So we needed green and we needed height. And I'd always had this kind of daydream about an edible house, like in the Hansel and Gretel, but not made of gingerbread, but made of vegetables. Growing vegetables is, is really what I do. And... Um, so I wanted to see that brought in but also because it tied in with the, the micro gardening concepts the sacks are, you will see those in many many countries across the world um, it's so simple, there's a there's a clear connection I think sacks.ie are based in County Clare or Limerick, I'm not sure um, you can buy a 25 Hessian sacks for about 30 quid you, you know, you can buy 10 of them for 5 or 6 euro Um so that that they are very authentic. What's in them crucially is kale and kale is grown it's not the exact kale but it's a representation of the kale that they grow in in many developing countries. And in Swahili kale is called sukumi wiki. And sukumi wiki means stretch the week. It's used in a lot of dishes to bulk out the meals. So you'll see kale growing in all of them. The other Things would be very familiar to ourselves, very similar. Chilies, coriander, spring onions, and corn—that's what we've used here. And in a few places, you'd see what they call Irish potatoes. What we call potatoes, they call Irish potatoes because they also have sweet potatoes and yams and and other um, other things. So it is a good representation, I think, of. How to grow in a sack, and the, the method to grow in a sack, it's a column of stones built up through a pipe with perforations. You roll up the sack, add more compost. Because they can't cultivate in urban areas large, they don't have large spaces to cultivate, and the soil is so poor, it's much more cost effective and practical to do it in small spaces like the sacks, like the, the crates that you see out front with the made out of simple wooden pallets. So there, there are lots of ideas that
0: people could replicate here at home in a small garden and I believe some of your suppliers are
5: actually from County Limerick. They are and a great uh, debt of credit or debt of gratitude is owed to Pat Hennessy of Hennessy's nurseries in Ballylanders. He's a nursery outlet in Ballylanders but I think it's Ard, Ard Finnan perhaps near hospital between Mitchelstown and hospital. I went down to see him and uh, I was told he was the man to help me out and it was actually Pat who originated the, the the growing wall, who got it going. He said leave it with me and I'll figure it out. We knew what we wanted to do but none of us had ever done it and uh, it was him that did it and, and grew the plants on for us so we're very proud of the limit connection. What happens to the garden after bloom is finished? we're working on it at the moment i mean you're so we're so focused the team on getting the garden up and running and but always at the back of my mind is let's start thinking about what we do it's very hard to think about what we're going to do with it after but the show flies by we're on day four now tomorrow's day five and first thing tuesday morning we're on the breakdown but we have some plans i mean obviously we would really want every aspect that is possibly salvageable or recyclable to go somewhere. The murals on the wall, we're looking at local schools, sacks to schools, uh, community gardens, community allotments. But, you know, again, that's a logistic thing. So we have to try and organise transport, lifting them, moving them. You know, we had three weeks to get everything on site. We've only about five days to get everything out. So it, it, it's as big uh, an ask or a task to get them all off again and it won a medal how did that make you feel? oh that was just the the best thing ever I mean I hate the way really it all comes down to the medals at the end but in a way it validated all the hard work of all the team you've no idea how many people it takes friends families their sisters uh, all the people at goal and of course the, the main person I have to credit is our contractor Alan Smith it's, it's him who brings all the logistics together and his team, Michael and, and James. It's not your first time at Bloom, though, and doing a garden at Bloom. No, it's my second year in a solo show. And it, I suppose it's not a solo because it is the big team effort. But I suppose there has to be one name on the on the garden and it's my name. Last year I did it, a solo show uh, based on Cape Cod. And it was just a personal thing. I'd been there and loved it. But this time around doing it for a charity, doing it for a charity like Goal, it's a huge honour But with that huge honour comes huge responsibility or, you know, an an onus on you to to deliver. And and thankfully we did. It's too early to start
0: thinking about next year, I'd imagine.
5: Oh no, I've got that. (laughs) I've actually got this year and the year after. I'll concede I had another concept in for this year and it didn't work out. I found it very hard to get the sponsorship for it and I drew the line under it. And that's when I kind of cast around and started looking at the other organisations that come to bloom, looking for... Um, people to design gardens and the only one that interested me personally was the Goal Garden and I was just so chuffed that they selected me to do it. I I feel there was the right designer for them. I live in Dunleary just beside the Goal offices so the logistics were great I could call in there in the morning and pick stuff up and when I was coming home in the evening I could call in to update them so it all worked out great. congratulations on a wonderful garden it's
0: absolutely amazing and good luck for next year we look forward to seeing what you get up to then yeah thank you very much you're listening to the best possible taste on west limerick 102 fm Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and just before the break, I was talking to Fiona Dillon and Joan Mallon during my recent visit to Bloom. If you've never been, be sure to mark it down for next year. Thursday the 26th of May until Monday the 30th of May. But if you're more a plain sailing sort of person and like the sound of a cruise from Ireland to France with onboard wine tasting, my next guest will be of interest to you. Frank McGreevy lives in Ballymena County Antrim, where I'm from, originally. He's a lifelong friend of my family and responsible for introducing us to the merits of fine wine. He has to take all the blame. Somebody has to be blamed, I suppose. Well, he shares his passion for the grape with his wine appreciation classes, and he often takes them out of the classroom. Cheers. Chin chin.
1: Salut. Schleiter.
0: Frank, you're very welcome to the show this evening.
3: Thank you, Sharon.
0: And you recently took your class out of the classroom and you went aboard the Oscar Wilde. Tell me about that.
3: I'd heard about it last year and uh, I knew we would be interested because the, the gang that come to the, the wine class are always on for any sort of out-of-the-country out of, out of the country tour, whether sh- long or short. So then this year, uh, when it came around to this spring, I had an email from uh, Irish Ferries do you two of these cruises uh, one at the beginning of the season and one at the end in September asked at the class who was who was uh, interested in going there was about 15 of them uh, delighted to, to have a go at it Man, I, I had to t- some of them had to take a Friday off uh, because it was a Friday Saturday and Sunday so you you travel out on the on the Friday and uh, then overnight and then you have Saturday in Roscoff and then you're back on the boat again Saturday night and back into Roslare Sunday morning. One thing that that struck me uh, in terms of, we were because we were going by rail, uh, we then didn't have any transport on the other side so we had to organise you know, somebody to pick us up at the port and take us into Roscoff and that, whereas uh, the whole idea of the car ferry is that, that you have your own transport so I would say Irish ferries are, in general terms, not very much interested in in, uh, people, as freight passengers, you know, are going from what you would call the railway station, that's Ross Lair, which used to be, in my young days, the the railway station was right in the port, but it had been changed about 15 years ago, uh, so whenever you get off the train, you're left uh, with about a 15-minute walk.
0: And, of course, the other downside of it is whenever you're purchasing, you're probably restricted how much uh,
3: yeah, wine absolutely. you can buy. Yeah, absolutely, because uh, we could only take what we could carry. But then in fairness, we weren't, you know, the price between the, the Northern Ireland prices or the UK prices uh, is not that much different. Whereas, you know, people from the Republic who might be going over to uh, buy, you know, to buy big quantities for, say, for a wedding or something like that, they would have their own transport and uh, and also they would be saving a lot more money, you know. So that's, uh, uh, you know, two sides to it. It would, it would never be an economical thing from here, say, where, where we live in Ballymena. It took us three trains, <laughs> three trains, Ballymena Belfast, Belfast-Dublin and Dublin-Ross-Lair. So, you I mean, you wouldn't do that on a normal basis.
0: And it was very good value for money in that you were having your your two nights on the on the ship
3: oh that's right, yeah, uh-huh. and the accommodation was very good uh, because probably the the because the boat wasn't full at this time of year uh although they did seem they seemed to be a big crowd okay but uh, but they so they gave us we would have booked two berth cabins, but so they gave us four berth cabins, uh which meant you had plenty of room, you know, and the, the boat is very. Very comfortable, and,
0: and that was ninety nine euros ahead.
3: Uh-huh. Which is, yep, I think,
0: that's great yeah. value for money. The,
3: the majority of the customers you could see from the, the cars and everybody were getting on were, you know, from the, from the whole surrounding area of Rosler. You know, as, as all over the republic, I suppose.
0: And there were wine tastings on board.
3: It was it was very well organised. It's uh, organised by the vignerons, as you would call them, the people in France who uh, produce the wines that are mainly sold in these uh, cash and carries around uh, Rosler, or Story Roscoff. It was laid on very, very well. It, it was like as if you were in a, in a big hotel and uh, the, one of the saloon bars was set up uh, like an exhibition with uh, tables and each table manned by uh, experts, you know, to describe the wine and each table would have had six or eight wines and you could sample them all. Uh, we were greeted with a, a glass of at the door, like the usual models, a couple of models with um, glasses of some air sparkling, uh, just to get the party going. Lovely. And then uh, it went on from that, and uh, you could walk around at your leisure. Uh, you could have sampled probably 50 wines if you were able to, able to keep going and able to stand up. <laughs> that would have been a, the problem sure we shouldn't call it a boat but it uh, was a, a ship but I, I had to warn the, uh, my clients before we went you know jokingly to saying that you know this is a testing on a car ferry you're not going on a cruise here. <laughs> but it really was a very comfortable ship and obviously good stabilizers because you wouldn't have known you wouldn't have known it was moving
0: it exceeded your expectations um. it did.
3: it did yeah it did
0: when you got to Roscoff then did you go to one of these hyper places or where did you go yeah, then? Well again
3: you see because we didn't have transport we weren't really able to do that uh, so we went uh, I had arranged to have lunch in Roscoff so we went to a nice little restaurant in, in Roscoff uh, we had booked that for half twelve or something and uh, very little English uh, spoken by the, the staff It's the typical French restaurant uh, but Maureen my other half was, was well, able to conduct our business in French, so we, we didn't have any bother with that. And uh, lovely, lovely lunch again. Good, good value for money. I think we had starter, mains, and dessert. Lots of wine, and the whole thing came to about thirty euros per head. Fantastic it was, value. It was great value. Uh-huh.
0: And any wine shopping so, after that, or back
3: so then, to the yes, ship? Yes, after that, then, uh, then we, we had another. We had about an, another hour just uh, free. Our taxi back. Um, was planned to take us to the the cash and carry, which, you know, by the way, the people who owned the cash and carry were the same people who were doing the tasting on board, although their wines, their samples would have been supplied by the vignerons who supply them, you know. Uh, wanting, Wanting to be fair, that was probably me. We probably could have taken a taxi to the hypermarket, but my feeling would be if somebody's willing enough to put on a tasting for you, that you would at least oblige them by... Uh, looking at their wine. Of
0: course, yes. And we,
3: since we had been given the opportunity to taste, you you then knew, and they all took notes, they, they all took notes, and you knew what you wanted to, out of the ones that I tasted. And, and since you could carry so little, I felt uh, I would just take a half a dozen of, of a Sauvignon Blanc from the Loire and a half a dozen of a, uh, another one from Languedoc, a Syrah from the Languedoc. And they, they were... They were two lovely wines for for €5.99. Euro. There would have been plenty of wines at €3 Euro and €4, Euro, but uh, to my mind, at €3, they basically are very... <laughs> they're not worth carrying home.
0: Well, to even carry 12 bottles must yes, have taken a lot a of effort.
3: <laughs> yes. <laughs> but in all honesty, Sharon, we were not there to buy wine, really. You know, we were there just for the, the outing uh, to see how the wine tasting would go and, the, you know, and the, 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 group, uh, the group were totally delighted with it all. At the there was cash and carry, totally full. Now, at this stage, people were getting ready to go back to the boat. So these people, these weren't people who were returning from holidays. They were people who had come over on the boat along with us. And uh, they were loading up. The whole car park was full of ROI number plates. Uh, and we saw one lady uh, paying over for her wine, which, which uh, was already out in her van we saw uh, this lady paying over €4,000. Wow. That that was a lot of wine.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, it sounds like you all had great fun and that you would definitely recommend it.
3: Yes, well, definitely for a a weekend's writing, uh, you couldn't beat it, really. If you were a bit closer, you would take your own transport with you and be able to go a bit further afield. I mean, if you had your own transport, you could go to the hypermarkets and there would be other bits and pieces apart from wine that, you know, would be different. Everything's always different in a in a foreign country.
0: Well it's always a great idea to get out of the classroom Frank, so I'm yes. sure the students all loved it and you're off to <laughs> Taste of Dublin with them this Saturday.
3: Yes, that's the next thing yep, that's our next hiding.
0: We'll look forward to that and I might see you there. Thanks Frank. Thank you very much Sharon. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Great chat, Frank, there. And if you decide to take a spin on the Oscar Wilde, I'd love to hear all about it. So please do drop me a line, s.noonan at live.ie. That brings us to the end of tonight's show. Thanks so much for your company and to all of tonight's guests, Karen Coakley, Paul Flynn, Fiona Dillon, Joan Mallon and Frank McGreevy. Remember the podcast at soundcloud.com forward slash Food hyphen and hyphen drink hyphen show if you missed any of the show tonight. Next week, Ron Forrestal is due back with his wine slot. So until then, Slauncha, and as always, bon appetit.